You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Welcome to an episode of the Formed and Sent podcast, a podcast of The Village Church that gathers in downtown Hamilton, Ohio. My name is Scott O'Donohoe. I'm one of the pastors of The Village. And with me today is um, Matt Tucker. <laughs> hey. A surprised Matt Tucker. <laughs> uh, Michael Graham, one of the pastors of the village as well. Fantastic. Uh, who? Why are we doing this? It's been a long time since we've done an episode of the podcast. What brought us into the recording booth that is Michael Graham's office? office. <laughs> <laughs> Super nice. Uh, you, may, you mind if I take this? No, one, please take it, man. Uh, no, first, no. I just man, I was just thinking, you know, 15 minutes ago, like what a joy it is for real to be able to create space to talk about stuff and uh, and really knowing that there are people who care about this stuff that are a part of our church uh, to get up and just talk about something and just bypass it is not really that's not really an option for us because people would be like, hey. <laughs> What is going on? So I just want to say, man, what a, a cool gift to be able to chat with you guys. And um, yeah, I think for the benefit of of the village, um, the question, the reason why we are gathering here today is so that I don't have to give a 15-minute caveat on Sunday about the brackets or the, you know, the asterisk or whatever you find in, in your Bible about a particular text at the end of John chapter 7 and the uh, beginning of John chapter 8. And the thing of it is, this super famous passage of scripture, like, was it scripture or not? Is it scripture or not? And then the obvious thing is, well, what do you do with that either way? Yeah. So. What's the, Matt, do you want to share, like, just kind of what, what is the part of the end of John uh, 7 and beginning of John 8? What is the story that's, like, kind of in question? Absolutely, man. Today? Yeah. Um, it's, like Michael said, pretty popular. Um it is the story that most people would know about the woman who is kind of taken, caught in adultery and brought before Jesus by the Pharisees. And they are saying, basically, what is your verdict? How are you going to condemn her? Um, what is the thing that's going to happen? And Jesus doesn't do what they think he's going to do. And instead, he pauses. He writes in the ground something that we don't know about. And over time, people walk away and... He says at the end of it, you know, who's here to condemn you? She says, nobody. He says, neither do I. But then he also says, you know, go away and continue to, or don't sin as a result of this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're going through John, like like they said. And so we have to deal with this because we can't just pass over a chunk of scripture. And the ESV Bible that we're working out of basically caveats this whole section with saying this is not in the, the most ancient of manuscripts, mm-hmm. I guess leaving the question of, is the scripture or not? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So what is what does that mean when we say, like, when we read a footnote, whether it's the ESV or pretty sure most modern translations of the New Testament have some kind of caveat, whether it's a footnote, whether it's in brackets or a little subheading or whatever, says that, hey, like, this part is not found in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. What does that mean? Like, what's the significance of that? What's the controversy, I guess, around that? Why is that a big deal? Uh, well, the controversy is, <clears throat> controversy is, is it part of the Bible or mm. not? And so, like, the, the difficulty is, well, we've talked about this at length some time ago, but, like, you know, how is the Bible, how did it get to be the Bible, and, like, can we trust it 
to be scripture? Is it inspired by the Holy Spirit? Is it of God? Is it from God? Is it not? Yeah. And so the difficulty is, man, if it's not, then then that's like a real thing. And so if it's not in the earliest manuscripts, then that creates maybe a little bit of a difficulty mm-hmm. for us to kind of say, well, if it, if it wasn't original, then was it added in later or what have you? Yeah, so. for sure. So yeah, that's a one reason why people should, is there any other reason why someone, you know, you said at the very beginning, kind of introing this a bit, like, ah, oh, there are people that care about this, obviously, because we want to know what's in the scriptures. What else? Is there any other reason why people shouldn't pay attention to to this question or this kind of controversy around this passage at all? Um, yeah, I don't want to bleed into other questions. Yeah. Like it, it does call into question like, well, if this part of scripture is not found in there, are there other parts of scripture that aren't found in there? And can we trust that what we have in the Bible is really the Bible? And I think we'll get into that in other sections. But for me, one of the things I wrote down is, did John write this passage under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Because if he didn't, then this is just maybe some text that is that could be good. But gosh, that really devalues this section if it's not real scripture. And sure. so that is a thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the places that skeptics and, you know, scoffers <laughs> would point to and say, look, like, you don't even know, you don't even know what's supposed to be in there, yeah. right? And so, like, you point to that as, like, evidence for reasons to not trust the scripture. And, and I think, and hopefully this comes out, you know, as we go in the conversation, I think, honestly, like, seeing those footnotes and those brackets or whatever it appears to be in your scripture or in your Bible, like, I think that actually should give us more confidence in the fact that, like, what we have today, we can we can know pretty certainly it is what is supposed to be in there. So we'll get there. But, yeah, I think it's a, a great thing to care about because how we got the Bible, it's a significant, significant question. And, and this little this little passage of scripture or passage of something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, is a great case study almost a little bit in trying to understand that better. So, Absolutely. So... Uh, is there anything, I guess, before we dig into the weeds on like why it's a thing, like what, um, what is theologically maybe at stake, uh, in this? Is there anything like if this is scripture, then this changes what we believe? Or if this isn't part of scripture, this, there's some like doctrine or whatever that, oh gosh, I thought that this was true. And now is it not? Is there anything theologically at stake in this? I mean, I think the... The theology at stake is the inspiration of Scripture, and so that's what we'll spend most of our time talking about less than, uh, in, in this instance, we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about the passage itself. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of what we, you know, like where it comes from, but I think the uh, assumption by most is that, man, there's not really anything in here that's new or that that changes foundational doctrine or anything like that. And that's also true for the passage in Mark, which is Mm -hmm. a similar kind of large chunk. And beyond that, there might be a a line or a word here and there. But by and large, it's this passage, one in Mark, and then like very few other just tiny fragments. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, like in terms of like if we we say, oh, this is emphatically scripture, this isn't, it doesn't undermine the gospel, it doesn't undermine... Uh, the credibility, it doesn't undermine any foundational doctrine of the yeah. Christian faith. So. Yeah. Anything to that, Matt? I, I totally agree with that. I do think why it's important and the theological components mm-hmm. is though that it could help, based if a scripture or not, shape how we view, like, how we deal with sin, um, adultery in general, condemnation, or God's view of sin. And if we 
looked at this and isolated it, man, that we could build out some really rough things if we separate from all the rest of scripture. Mm -hmm. And so as much as Michael said, yeah, like nothing in here by itself builds out a whole doctrinal statement, this could really influence how we do see God dealing with sin. We, we could, by the end of it, make it sound like, oh, well, he doesn't really care about sin that much. Or I could just sin and then I'll just stop tomorrow or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we don't see how this could play out in someone's mind if we just isolate this one text. And from the Bible, that's how we get to know God. That's the primary means. And so as we study this passage, I think people will be shaped by this. And mm -hmm. so it is, it is a, of importance. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why, in some reason, like, you know, the the fact that it's contested a bit and that there are folks that say, no, I mean, I think it belongs here and it feels like it belongs in Scripture is because it's theologically coherent and consistent with the rest of Scripture in terms yeah. of what it teaches. Like, both Jesus' like willingness to forgive and mm -hmm. grant mercy and grace, but also, you know, go and sin no more. You know, yeah. so like there's this, he is like, he's not just sweeping sin under the rug. Like he is also saying this is a, a weighty thing. Hey, but so is great. And we can see that all over yeah. the pages of scripture, right? Um, there was a funny anecdote, I guess, like Augustine or Augustine or whatever, like he, he like when he was interacting with this particular text, like he... It's like, yeah, yeah, there's some debate over whether or not it's actually supposed to be in here or whatever. And the way he kind of characterized not having all the manuscripts that we have today is like, I think probably some people like don't want it in here from what I can understand because like they're afraid that uh, if if this is in here, it gives their wives license yeah. to like do stuff or whatever or to be promiscuous yeah. without any kind of consequence, which is again, like Jesus says at the end, Hey, go and sin no more. He's, he's saying like, don't do this again. Yeah. But it's just funny. Like that's the only reason he could think of that. Like it wouldn't be in there, but it's like, but that's like this, it just, it's just a funny anecdote of like how to, why would someone not put it in here, put it in, what's at stake? I, I don't know. Like that was his thought around yeah. why someone might not include that there. But, yeah, yeah. Around it, I guess too, with that, Scott, they talked about how the old Testament had like stoning as a result of infidelity right. or something like that and how Jesus wasn't then connecting this to that and so they felt like it would be in uh, like against each other working right. against each other but yeah that doesn't seem to go with the rest of the New Testament either yeah. well I mean while we're talking about the text the beauty is that Christ becomes the authority of uh, of the law right in, yeah. in the text mm -hmm. and then I mean that kind of spills into the next chunk of scripture or whatever but that is not a small deal. I mean, so certainly all the cultural stuff, which are pretty obvious, I'll try to tango with you know that as much as I can mm -hmm. when I preach this on Sunday. But um, yeah, the fact that he like Jesus um, is greater than Moses yeah. Yeah. It is it has been on display and it will mm -hmm. continue to be on display. Like, well, how can you forgive someone because, like, well, that that's the thing. Like, yeah. Jesus has only God can forgive. Yeah. Well, like Jesus is saying. Well, you're right. <laughs> Only God can forgive, and and she's also forgiven. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. So. I mean, that's we've already read through the woman at the well, you know, like that account, which is not contested at all. And there's a some maybe some different flavors involved in there because we're not exactly sure why she was in the like you know marriage after marriage after marriage and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, could have been you know, for multiple reasons. Could have been her own, you know, stuff going on, or it could have been the fact that she was just passed around and treated poorly from, mm -hmm. you know, by different men. But, like, all that to say, at least the traditional view of that passage that kind of, like, places her and sees her more as an adulterer, like, the same theology could be, like, brought up in that passage as well, and there's no 
there's no contesting that in terms of the theological implications of that mm-hmm. story where it's like, oh, no, Jesus says like, I, you want to drink from the mm-hmm. living water or whatever. And she goes like believing in Jesus and all that stuff. And there's no like, you know, like we don't know what she ends up doing mm-hmm. <laughs> with her living yeah. situation or whatever. Yeah. We just know that Jesus invites her to have yeah. new life in him, you know? And so it's like, you could kind of draw some similar theological Absolutely. conclusions from that as well. So it's like that that there's, again, there's nothing unique in this passage that we don't see in other places either that seems consistent with what Jesus would say and do in a situation like that. Again, which makes it tough to say, oh, should it be in there or not? Yeah. But then it's also like, yeah, but there's nothing unique about this one particular section that like if we don't have it, then we don't have this aspect of Jesus anymore. Yeah, so... Uh, regarding kind of like the credibility of the Bible, like does this, like what does this say about the credibility of Scripture? Does it call it into question in terms of what we have here and now? Like how, what does this add to the conversation of can we trust the Scriptures? Um, I'm sure there's a, many places we could go with it, but for me I put no, it, it doesn't threaten it for me personally, and I don't speak mm-hmm. for everyone, but our trust isn't in a historian saying this passage is in this text or any of these ancient manuscripts or not. My trust of the scriptures is in God's character, who is true and trustworthy. And he says, these I've given you that you might believe in me. And so if we believe that God is good, that he's given us everything we need to know for life and godliness, and that if we believe that he is wanting us to know him accurately, then I don't have to fear that, like, uh, what does this person say or not say, or about a specific passage? Because like you said, there's nothing in here that would change how God is viewed or shaped. And so like we get to just walk confidently that we have the whole of the Bible, and that is a safeguard against any little thing like this. For sure, yeah. Yeah, it's it's easy to separate, like, I mean, and, and there's bias in, in every field. You know, science can add... Um, you know, billions of years, like it's nothing, and just, well, over time, like anything can happen over time. A planet's a planet, then it's not a planet, then it's a planet. Yeah, yeah, or or like whatever, like evolutionary, whatever it is. It's like, well, if you just add enough, if you just have enough time, anything can happen. It's like, well, that's not true. Like, (laughs) just adding time doesn't mean that just anything can happen, but it like, it separates. And then on the flip of that is like, well, that was a long time ago. So the Bible was a long time, and certainly in that amount of time, there could be like, corruption or whatever mm-hmm. and and like I think you said it on the on the beginning Scott it's actually the amount of time and the in the number of copies so mm-hmm. to speak is what gives credibility not the opposite mm-hmm. it doesn't undermine and and certainly there's more um, scrutiny in the scriptures than any other book bar none mm-hmm. on the planet and yet it has stood the test of time. I think maybe one helpful thing in, in reading R.C. Sproul, um, his commentary on Johnny, he basically, uh, he says there's two types of criticism. The higher criticism, which focuses on the content itself, and he's like, I'm not really concerned with that so much. The lower criticism, or what we t- I don't know if we said the word yet, textual criticism, mm, no. is the very exact science by which efforts are made to reconstruct the original text of Scripture as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's like what we're dealing with. Again, how that's made, and in terms of like the theological um, tensions or whatever, again, what he says is, the church has confessed her faith historically in the inspiration of the Bible uh, the teaching that the original writers of the text of Scripture were so superintended by the Holy Spirit. That is to say that the original prophets, apostles, and Jesus 
were um, speaking on behalf of God. Mm -hmm. Jesus obviously being God, the others inspired by the Spirit. But the church has not taken the position that each and every copyist, so to speak, um, receive the same divine superintendence of God, which is okay. Um, And I'll Hmm. talk about that, I think, by the end. But one cool thing is these passages were not used to be put into a museum like we would think that they should be. Like, well, why wouldn't someone preserve that? Because they were using it as the Word of God, yeah. passing it around church to church, and then you had these copyists in their local church being responsible to to what to copy yeah. the, the text. Mm-hmm. And so the more of those you get, then the better validating it is to the original text. Right, yeah. Yeah, the reason we can have brackets and asterisks next to some passages is because we have... We have so many other manuscripts. So, like, we know what is in pretty much everything else. Like, no, this matches up in every other manuscript we have, you know. But then there's these just couple that are like, oh, that, you know, the one that we're talking about today, it doesn't show up until, like, the mid-300s, 80 in manuscripts. It, like, just doesn't show up anywhere. And then, like, when it does, it's, like, inserted in different places, like it like comes after where we're reading it today, like where it's probably in your Bibles after John seven fifty two, but then it also shows up in other manuscripts uh, after John seven thirty six, after John twenty one twenty five, after Luke twenty one thirty eight, and after Luke twenty four fifty three in a couple places. And there are there are some good reasons for that. Some of those manuscripts are like almost like liturgical reading, so they're almost like um, like if you have a devotional or like a daily reading plan that kind of puts different passages together, like some of those, some of the shuffling around is because, oh, they wanted to match that like little story up with something else that you're reading that day. But like, it doesn't show up, you know, until like the mid three hundreds. And, and so we, we know that (laughs) we know that that's uh, like an anomaly because we have so many other manuscripts. And so the little note that you know might be in your Bibles and say, yeah, it doesn't show up. This doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts. Like the fact that like Bible translators and everything are not hiding that information. They're not. They're not afraid of sharing that with you. Like that should give you all the confidence that when you're reading the scriptures, if you're not seeing notes like that, <laughs> like anywhere, or if, or if the notes are like, oh, sometimes it says uh, or it's the, or sometimes is this like uh, wives or women, and sometimes there's meaningful things there. Mm-hmm. But if there's like, if you don't have notes like that all over the place, then you can be pretty confident that what we have there is legit because mm-hmm. we're not we're not no one's trying to hide the history of mm-hmm. the way that the scriptures were coming together. And so again, that that should give us confidence that hey, this process of recognizing what belongs in the canon and what has been part of the canon from the beginning that actually seems to be working. I mm-hmm. think that's what these little brackets and this whole kind of conversation points to. That's true, though. That's really good, man. Um, yeah, any other thoughts around, like, just the credibility of Scripture and anything that this has to say about that at all? Well, I'd just say by the numbers, like, anybody would say um, well over 99% of, of all that we have in a modern translation is completely credible, mm-hmm. and, and there's a literal fraction of a percentage that of those things that are like, ah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. And the, the earliest, <clears throat> like as Bibles were being written and translated, they weren't necessarily 
you know, I think about like the Latin translations and the Vulgate and all that stuff, like they weren't working from, like as time has gone on, we've gotten earlier and earlier and earlier, older and older and older manuscripts. And so the reason why like, like this passage and the ending of Mark and stuff are still in our Bibles today is because you know, at the beginning, like those were, those were kind of around as more and more Bibles were being printed and all that stuff. But as we've gotten earlier and earlier manuscripts, we now see, oh, like maybe that actually wasn't there. And so there's a bit of history, a bit of storytelling, even in why, you know, why do we have the Bible that we have today? Why would they even put that in there? Well, it's because like we've gotten older manuscripts as time has gone on that we can point to and say, ah, like maybe that wasn't in there at the beginning. So cool. Uh, so obviously like when we were plotting out John, as we've approached this, this particular passage of scripture, we've had to like We've had conversations. We've had to talk about, hey, like, are we going to preach this or are we not going to preach this? Because mm-hmm. we've all seen the brackets, you know, since we've been looking at our Bibles or whatever. And so, um, so yeah, like, there are some good reasons on both sides. We know prominent pastors, preachers, teachers who would say, yeah, you know what? It's helpful to preach this. And some who would say, nope, you shouldn't preach this. Clearly, we're deciding to <laughs> preach this on Sunday. Uh, but like at the, uh, at the time of recording, we yeah, well, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll persuade ourselves otherwise by the end of this. But um, yeah. But what are some good reasons why why someone wouldn't preach through like this passage? What are some good reasons to not do that? I'll, you can take this if you want, or it doesn't matter. But one funny thing is, I mean, I think it was probably six months ago before we were even in John on like the X twenty nine forum, you know, that we used to kind of interact or whatever. Um, somebody, you know, brought this. Obviously, this happens a lot. People preaching through books of the yeah. Bible. Hey, what have you guys done? And in that, it was funny. It was like, have you preached it with a caveat? Have you not preached it with a caveat? Have you just acted like it? You know, all these things. And there was just that. It was like, no, we, we didn't preach it. And yeah. we we explained why. And and yes, we did preach it. And we explained why. Um, my gut, my first thing was like, well, like we have to because my flesh wants to. Like, you know, <laughs> um, like... What a powerful, you know, all those things. And it's like, man, which is so funny because that's the opposite reason why, like, some think that it was actually taken out. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it was there, but then it was actually cut out because it's so scandalous mm-hmm. in the way mm-hmm. that Jesus yeah. interacts with an adulterer. Like, oh, gosh, grace can't be, like, that gracious. And we're looking at it like, no, like, th- there's beauty in the way that Jesus both confronts but does not condemn. And, mm-hmm. like, we see, that's, like, literally the gospel screaming off the page. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess uh, if it was added in and clearly isn't scripture, it isn't apostolic, it wasn't written by a, a prophet or an apostle, um, then there's no good reason to think it's part of God's word to us. Well, maybe we, like it's, it's not the Bible. And so it's, you know, it's just a church tradition that like we don't preach out of church tradition. We preach out of the, the Holy Scriptures. But then on the other side, if it was removed because of scandalous grace or whatever, um, it is largely assumed to be apostolic that I think we do. And again, for me, one of the most compelling things was uh, this line, again, by R.C. Sproul. He says, the overwhelming consensus, I'll say this on Sunday, I think, the overwhelming consensus of textual critics is that it is not part of the original gospel of John, at least not this portion of John, to your point, Scott. At the same time, the overwhelming consensus is that this account is authentic, it's apostolic, and it should be contained in any edition of the New Testament. That's the tension. Mm-hmm. And that's not what everyone, I mean, that's not everyone, it's not what everyone that, yeah. that we read, even in our little, you know, the show notes, so to speak. And right. so I just think it's a tension. Um, it's not going to be resolved because 
we've we've not gotten new information for a long, long time about this. Mm. And so um, for us, we just said, well, like it could go either way and like we're going to preach it. Yeah. Yeah. In regards to why someone wouldn't, you could take the case where, well, if we're not 100% sure that this is scripture, then the conservative, most careful approach would be to then avoid Mm -hmm. it. Like that's certainly one way. The other thing which I was thinking through is like, well, gosh, someone can make the case like, you know, God says that. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for rebuke, for correction, for instruction. Mm-hmm. And then it also says in other parts of scripture, like, you know, my word will not return void, but it will it'll do what it's set up to do. And so if this section is not scripture, then it's it's not going to do those things. And so it's not profitable to preach those things. Sure. So those, those are just two reasons why someone might not preach this text. Yeah. I mean, just because something is helpful or like it's a powerful account or even if it's true history, doesn't mean that we preach it as scripture, right? Like, I think that's like a, yeah, scripture is unique to any other words that have ever been written about Jesus or even true stories about Jesus. I mean, that's the thing that we have to remember, like in the gospels, I mean, you can read through a gospel in less than an hour and breeze through like three, four years of Jesus life. And so like, there are plenty of things that he said and did and interactions that he had that are true and historical that are not contained in the scriptures, right? So it like, says that. There's like, there's thousands more stories. And John literally says that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. like there's not enough, you know, not enough yeah. uh, uh, paper and pen in the planet to contain everything that he did. And, and so like this story, to your point, Michael, like the earliest, uh, I think, introduction of this story seems to point to it as not something that was written as a, like part of the gospel account, but as like kind of like history, either church tradition or this thing that happened contained in this you know, writing here and it's passed on to this guy and then passed on to Eusebius, who's like a, a church guy or whatever. And so it, it kind of seemingly like exists as a as an account or a story that happened, but not necessarily like mm-hmm. as it was written by John in scripture. And so, yeah, we don't conflate uh, good, helpful, maybe even true historical things with with the scriptures, like with in the inspired word of God. Like those are two different things. And so, yeah, that would be a reason to not preach that as scripture. And yet, gosh, we use like, well, we use our own words on Sunday mornings when we preach. We use illustrations. We use other things. And so, yeah, maybe that's getting into the next question a bit. But I think that's some reason why you would be careful to not, you know, preach it. Because you don't want to conflate it with scripture if you don't think it is. Um, so what are some reasons for... For preaching it, right? We've we've landed uh, at least like came into the conversation thinking we're pre- like <laughs> keep saying I don't that. have any good reason. Keep saying that, <laughs> Michael. Please scrap your sermon. Uh, no, like what? Why is it a good uh, reason to preach this? What are some good reasons for doing that? Why do we land there? Um, I just throw out a couple, and you guys feel free to talk about it as well. But we're not like it's been said already, we're not identifying new theology. We're not saying, hey, this is a part of God you've never heard before from this one mm-hmm. section of Scripture. And so I think we think it's safe to do this. And number two is the things that we pull from this text on Sunday, if you know we are preaching this, we are also anchoring in other texts throughout God's Word. Again, mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, we, when we talk about sexuality or about God or about condemnation, these are themes throughout the whole Bible, and we're not just using this specific text only, but we are saying, hey, we also see this played out in this other passage or in this other section of the Bible. So, you know, we're using all of Scripture to affirm some things that we're teaching about. And one of the greatest, I think, um, 
kind of breath of fresh air for me is that I believe we have a mature church mm-hmm. who will not be divisive over this. Um, some people might say we shouldn't do this, or some people might say, no, we need to do this. But overall, through COVID, through cultural things, our church has been really kind mm-hmm. and gracious to understand and to see the heart of things. And I think that even though this could be something that divides a church or a, a you know family or relationship I don't think as we lay this out and do the podcast and and preach on Sunday that this will be something that divides by God's grace this will be something that builds up the church and we can mm-hmm. grow from the kind of the ideas that are in this yeah I agree yeah I mean I that makes me I'm just thinking out loud which is dangerous but like <laughs> you know what what would be the bigger issue uh, let's say we're unsure and yet modern translators, editors continue to put mm-hmm. it in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look throughout history and so many people that are intentional, trying to do just what we're doing throughout all of history, like uh, approach it as if it is at least, you know, like part of yeah. canon or, or like whatever, at least engage it as, you know, teach it as if it were like, would it be the bigger deal? And again, this isn't how you make decisions as a church, but would it be the bigger deal if I said on Sunday, hey, like, notice the brackets. So just, like, get scissors and cut it out. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. That yeah, I mean, thing, you, you know, know. Would, would that be the bigger deal or would that be more harmful than saying we're not really sure mm-hmm. and maybe it could go either way and so we're going to engage it as as if, like, it, it made the final cut of your... ESV study Bible, yeah. and we're going to we're going to honor it as such, and we're going to engage with the content that's there. And honestly, like it's not more than that. It, it it's not really much more than that. Of like, okay, well, like, what would be the greater harm to to cut it out mm-hmm. or to um, proceed and and talk about it as if it's part of Scripture? And I think yeah. the greater harm would be to cut it out. I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons why it continues to be in some of the like the translations today. That's why we have it in our is because the translation committees and like the councils and groups and organizations that are like part of publishing and studying and doing all this textual criticism and everything else. Like they're like, no, I mean, like it would it would be really potentially like uh, boat rocking for the public if we just said we're taking this thing out. And so like there are like people that are a million times smarter than the three of us that hey, have studied this. Well, the two of us, uh, <laughs> you don't know Michael that and Matt, uh, that, <laughs> that have, uh, you know, studied this for a long time and considered this over, you know, over the year. And so it's like, so who are we to, I don't know, like we get to kind of rest in the work that has been done by people that are experts and people that love Jesus and are committed to the scriptures and have labored hard and the evidence way longer than we have in preparation for this little, you know, podcast thing, who say, you know what, like, we're going to leave it in here. And so there's some confidence and trust in that. And also, again, there's nothing like heretical in this, which is why it's still in. If there was anything crazy that Jesus said or did that's like, well, that doesn't sound like it, it wouldn't be in here. Like, it would never have been confused as, like, maybe being recognized as canon if it didn't align with everything else that we have about Jesus. And so it is a powerful story. Like, it's a it's a powerful account. may very well have been actually true, and Jesus, this did happen. And we can preach it as a thing that we can say, you know what, like, this does at least sound like something that Jesus would do. And we can point to all the other scriptures in the New mm-hmm. Testament that would corroborate that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, and it's a great way we get to have this conversation, right? We get to point people to even like, hopefully a, a thing that builds their confidence in 
the Bible itself, which like can never be a, a bad thing, right? Yep. In talking about this stuff. So I was gonna say like we've talked about this a lot. Like you can accept something, you can reject something, or you can redeem it. Mm-hmm. You know, something along those language, and it'd be easy to just reject this and say it's not scripture, and we know for sure, but I don't think we have 100% confidence that it's not, or we could just accept it and say, this is God's word and mm-hmm. enjoy it and, and consume it. And I don't think we can wholeheartedly say that, but our desire through this podcast and through preaching it and through kind of caveating some of these things is to redeem it because we can grow closer to God through this text as well, to to enjoy him more, to be pointed to him, to see grace and forgiveness and to be to see sin called out. And that's our desire is to redeem it, this passage. Mm-hmm. And so for a comfortable cool opportunity. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, Matt, like you're, they just like made me think of Gamaliel, like who was like, you know, sitting among the Pharisees and they're wanting to just like, just squash the church, the early church or whatever, because of what they're doing. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like basically said, look, there have been a lot of people that have come and gone over the years that said that they're the Messiah and that they're like doing this stuff. And when they've gone, when they've died, when they've like their movements have fizzled out. And so we don't have to do anything. If this is one of those, then like we can just let it go and it'll fizzle out on its own. But if it's not one of those, and that if this is actually like from the Lord, yeah. then who are we to be found being opposed to the Lord? And Absolutely. so I kind of like that is sort of like the approach I have with this a little bit is like, you know, like if this isn't a thing, then like, okay, we still get to point to Jesus and preach the gospel and talk about sin and forgiveness and mercy and grace and all the things that are clearly biblical from the rest of the account of scripture. And, you know, like, I don't want to like cut it out and then say, well, I'm just not going to preach God's word. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the whole, like what's at stake here and what's the, what's the greater, bigger risk or what? Like, I don't know. That's, that's maybe think of that. That's Gamaliel, not Gargamel, the guy who chased the Smurfs. (laughs) That is, I always get them mixed up. They're very similar. It's a close call. Um, yeah, I, I would say one thing that's just super helpful um, in one of the, the commentaries I was reading, um, it said, man, you might you might find yourself hearing all this and just be like, oh my gosh, like, can we believe anything? You know, you know whatever, like, how can this be? We don't have original manuscripts of, you know, virtually any of the scriptures. Like, that's a problem. Um, and yet... Uh, the uh, one analogy uh, that one of the guys used was, you know, we don't, uh, he says, um, that's like saying that if someone put a bomb in the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Washington and blew up our official yardstick, there wouldn't be enough accurate yardsticks and copies to allow us to reconstruct what a yard is. Yeah. Hmm. That's like a, a good picture of the way we have the scripture. Absolutely. My goodness. We don't have the originals. Um, and so like, sure, but we have an overwhelming amount of copies mm-hmm. that were transmissed transmissed um <laughs> transferred transmitted there you go yeah, yeah. in in one. like very technical careful yeah. way and so yeah there there's issues and and those by the the sheer number cancel out most of the errors themselves absolutely which yeah. is a beautiful thing yeah so. absolutely for sure cool well uh i always ask this and sometimes you have stuff and sometimes you don't any final thoughts <laughs> Or whatever that you want to leave folks with in that. Nope. Good. It's good, it's good to be back at it. That's what it I was going to be back. Cool. Yeah. I mean, we probably won't do this for another year, but yeah. <laughs> it's a yearly tradition. That's right. Uh, cool. Well, I mean, this, I, I don't know, this maybe cleared something up or it very well could have just stirred up more questions for you if you're listening to this. If you're listening to it, thanks. Like, I mean, we are grateful that you care enough about this stuff to, you know, hang with us here for a little bit, but. 
Man, if you have questions, hit us up. I mean, we we read and listened to some stuff, some of the same things, some different things or whatever in preparation for this. Um, and like I said, it, if anything, I think it builds our confidence in the scriptures and then what we have in our Bible is what should be there. Um, but if you have questions about it, if you would like to talk about it, uh, don't hesitate to hit us up. We would love to chat with you about it. Um, and man, if you have a question, chances are other people have the same question as well. So let us know. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening. Hope this is helpful uh, and we'll see you next time.